0: All right,
1: he's a madman. Yeah, he's a bit crazy, but we like it that way. A madman, and that is a good thing. It actually, once he's president again, as is my hope, will keep us safer, just like it did when he was president, and just like it did when other people that our enemies thought were a little bit crazy. Um, it helps us. There's actually a theory, it's called the madman theory. And it came up in the Nixon administration when a country makes their leader look irrational and volatile so other world leaders would avoid provoking the country, fearing an unpredictable response. And Richard Nixon, who was definitely a little bit different, is the guy who got this
0: started. Nixon called it the madman theory. The idea that he would pretend that he hated communists so much that he would get angry and he would do anything to destroy communism and save South Vietnam. And so it was called the madman theory. So he liked to project this idea that he was mad and he would do anything to end the war. This led to one event that we're just finding out about uh, now, at least recently, that Nixon ordered a nuclear worldwide alert. Um, And it was secret until just a few years back when the documents came out.
1: You know, sometimes you can achieve peace by pretending you want the opposite. It's kind of brilliant. So Richard Nixon had it. Ronald Reagan had it a little bit, actually, as well. You know who didn't have it? You know who they weren't afraid of? Jimmy Carter, who just put all of his cards on the table. Uh, We want peace and uh, anything for peace. And we do want peace. But you got to be tough at the same time. Joe Biden doesn't have it, all right? Even though he's losing it, I mean, they think he's losing it, but not in a good way, not like Trump. <laughs> and you know who has the power, really, right now? Not Joe Biden, not even so much Barack Obama. It's the guys who write the cards. You ever notice Joe Biden looking down all the time, reading?
2: We said and outrage by the... Uh explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. Yeah, I made it clear that uh, that no nation can be truly secure in the world. He's if
1: reading those cards, the out. index cards, like we had, you know, for social studies class, in, uh, learning uh, the world, uh, world capitals. Russian
2: brutality and aggression that we face every single day. But today, I also want to thank you for deepening the... Uh, our security corporation
1: You know, anybody could action. do this, by the way. Anybody. <laughs> when I
2: hosted you at the White House in February... Give I'll, my
1: neighbor the cards. He could be the president. All right, so who's actually putting the stuff down on the cards? They're the important ones. They're running the show. And there are two guys, two prime guys right now. One is uh, Tony Blinken lurking in the shadows. That's him, the secretary of state. Been hanging around Joe Biden for about 20 years. The other guy... Jake Sullivan, often seen in the room, uh, off to the side. He is actually most famous in history for advising Hillary Clinton to go to Wisconsin to campaign, and Hillary uh, blew him off. Jake Sullivan, national security advisor, in way over his head. We've had some giants in that job. McGeorge Bundy, one of the guys who ran the world under John F. Kennedy, Henry Kissinger, National Security Advisor, General Brent Scowcroft under George H.W. Bush. And now we have Jake, a guy named Jake, Jake Sullivan. Jake is just, I mean, Jake, I'm sorry, Jake is the name of the guy who... uh, I don't know, he's, he's a great guy, Jake, but he's, <laughs> is it Jacob? you got to use your full formal name for a job like that. It's the little things sometimes. Joe was on Air Force One, surrounded by reporters yesterday. Did you notice this? Um, not asked one question that could, well, embarrass him, undermine him. I mean, that's kind of what the press does, right? And there were real heavyweights there. The New York Times was there, the Washington Post was there, um, and they tiptoed around. No one brings up the Hunter Biden laptop. You know, Joe Biden has never been asked about the laptop, other than that one debate, and he lied to everybody. And still, with this genteel treatment, he just can't get it right.
2: I'm not suggesting that Hamas deliberately did it either. It's that old thing. Got to know how to shoot straight.
1: Wow, that is uh, so inappropriate, so wrong, diplomatically, politically, from a just a regular common sense, humane point of view. You got to shoot straight at our ally. He's surrounded by media, and they don't say anything about it. They don't say, "Wait a second, Mr. President, did you just say what we think you said?" No, because he has presidential immunity. Why does he have that? He's a Democrat, I guess. Democrat presidential immunity is more like it. Now, when you're president, you get it. And when you're a candidate, even if you're a Democrat, you don't. You know, those same reporters actually had some guts, a little bit, when he was just a candidate for president. Watch this.
2: To serve on the board of a Ukrainian energy company facing serious corruption charges, you were the vice president running point on Ukraine The average Joe hears that and says, that sounds fishy. What's your understanding of what your son was doing for an extraordinary amount of money? I don't know what he was doing. I know he was on the board. I found out he was on the board after he was on the board. And that was it. And there's nobody. Well, you've had a lot of time. Isn't this something you want to get to the bottom of? No, because I trust my son. But that doesn't pass the smell test. Like, when you're vice president, isn't there a higher standard? Don't you need to know what's happening with your family? Don't you need to put down some guardrails? Unless there was something that was uh, there was something on its face that was wrong. There's nothing on its face That was wrong. So look if you want to talk about problems, you know, let's talk about Trump's family
1: Wow Nothing on its face that was wrong nothing on its face I counted one two three four five six potential lies in what 37 seconds there Um, That was good aggressive questioning now that he's president Why doesn't he get it anymore? Presidential immunity, Democrat presidential immunity. Now he's got real power and he's doing wildly irresponsible and dangerous things.
2: Today, I'm also announcing one hundred million dollars in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank.
1: Wow. Um, terribly dangerous. They could easily use that money for bombs, bullets, uh, to use against Israel. And the administration, they know it. Any assistance that goes in will be diverted once it's inside Gaza. That there is not, a, there's not an Israeli military force in Gaza. There's not a UN peacekeeping force in Gaza. The people with guns inside Gaza are Hamas. And so Hamas may try to divert this assistance and keep it from getting to the civilians who, who it is intended for. We think that's a legitimate concern. Uh, We've made clear that this aid needs to go to innocent civilians and not Hamas. We're going to be watching very carefully uh, how it's delivered um, because we want to be sensitive to those concerns, which we share. Wow. They're going to be watching it, just like they were watching the, the border between Gaza and Israel, just like they're watching our border. How are they going to do anything about it? Please don't spend that money. Don't buy candy with that money, Johnny. All right. The celebrities are at it again threatening to leave the country if Trump wins. My life seems to be longer than any human being ever, she says. But inside the story, she goes on to threaten. She's equally horrified by the possibility of Trump regaining power. I almost got an ulcer the last time, she said. If he gets in, who knows? This time, I will leave the country. Now, lots of politicians, lots of celebrities, promised us they were going to do that the last time. They didn't. I'm actually really surprised to hear this, though, from Cher. She should love President Trump. I know a few things about Cher. She supports the troops. She's actually gone out of her way to visit the troops overseas at Walter Reed Hospital. She has helped them. Her heart goes out to them. And I know this is not some passing fancy of hers. She once called c-span you know the phone in line as a regular person and the guy figured out it was Cher. just listen to her heart was breaking over that iraq war and the horrible price we had to pay for a lie
3: and i spent the day with i mean they were great guys and and the the, the men that took me around were in the in the you know in the services they, they were fabulous men these boys had unbelievable courage and they still said for the most part they were glad that they did it they felt that it was their duty they had the most unbelievable courage and it took everything that i have as a person to not you know break down while i was talking to these guys but i just think if there was no reason for this war this was the most heinous thing i've ever seen
1: so remember that, share wherever you are, huh? Because the people on the other side, on the left, people I guess you like because they're Democrats, Senator Hillary Clinton, Senator John Kerry, Senator Joe Biden, they all, all authorized, voted to authorize that crazy war. And President Trump did not support that war. He said so actually publicly before the war, and famously at this debate in uh, 2016.
2: Obviously, the war in Iraq was a big, fat mistake, all right? Now, you can take it any way you want, and it took, Je- it took Jeb Bush, if you remember at the beginning of his announcement, when he announced the president, it took him five days, he went back. It was a mistake, it wasn't a mistake. It took him five days before his people told him what to say, and he ultimately said... It was a mistake. The war in Iraq, we spent $2 trillion, thousands of lives. We don't even have it. Iran is taking over Iraq with the second largest oil reserves in the world. Obviously, it was a mistake. So George Bush made a mistake. We can make mistakes. But that one was a beauty. We should have never been in Iraq. We have destabilized the Middle East. If you hate war and love peace, Donald
1: Trump is your man. I know for some people he's tough to take. They don't like the style. They don't like the tweets. They don't like this. They don't like that. I don't like getting into foreign wars with no intention of winning and just having them go on and on and on and people get richer and richer and richer. I like making peace and sometimes you have to make peace with your enemies. This is one of the most beautiful moments in uh, world history. Kim Jong-un and President Trump, President Trump going into North Korea. The swamp said he couldn't do it. You can't do it. You haven't talked to our State Department officials. You can't make peace with our enemies. That's actually the way it's supposed to work. Memo to Mitt Romney. If you were president, you could run things your way. But you lost. Never forget that. And he can't stand it. Listen to this.
4: Twenty years ago, people read newspapers and magazines and and looked at the evening news. Those things were all carefully vetted, uh, in in most respects, uh, by editors, fact-checkers, and so forth. That's gone.
1: Yeah, Mitt Romney is bemoaning the days where we all listen to the New York Times, and they set the agenda, including saying there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and we should invade. Twenty years ago, that's the way it was. Next.
4: If I have a really crazy crackpot theory, just absolutely, completely wild out there, I can put it out there and get millions of hits. I can get a lot of people seeing it. Well, that was not possible. And and the people who are influencers, if you will, and have the biggest following are people who are angry and are pointing out the the foibles on the other side. Has he seen
1: the border lately? Has he seen transgender people hanging around schools during reading hour and recess? Those aren't foibles, those are issues, those are forces that are threatening our very existence. It's okay to be angry, all right? It is. Pierre Delecto, that guy knows how to get angry on the internet, I've noticed. One more.
4: Politics itself has become more of a performance art. I mean, President Trump, for instance, I mean, what is he good at? Uh, His background was performing. He was on TV, he was a WWF owner and and uh, would go out there with the wrestlers and so forth i mean that's what he did and that's what has given him the prominence that he's received he really is a fool (laughs) he doesn't even do his homework that's all president
1: trump did president trump became famous and became a billionaire by building things construction development taking a vacant lot and going through the Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of hurdles to get something like that done. A hundred-story building built and doing it all over the world. That's talent. Mitt Romney, on the other hand, can somebody tell me what they did all day at Bain Capital? Uh, I know what they did at the end of the day. drop the banner, if you will. That's Mitt Romney holding cash. What did he do? Did he build anything? No. Did he create anything? No. He was actually pretty good at taking jobs, moving some of them to China building. That's leeching. That's what he did, leeching. All right. So if you have friends or family, anybody who has doubts about President Trump, I recommend they, well, look at what I just talked about tonight. And if they're really concerned, go and find the Mount Rushmore speech that President Trump delivered on July 4th of 2020. It really should allay everyone's concerns. It's a magnificent speech and it's so American. And I think it's bipartisan, really. Everybody can
2: get behind it. Here's a portion this monument will never be desecrated these heroes will never be defaced their legacy will never ever be destroyed their achievements will never be forgotten our nation is witnessing a merciless campaign to wipe out our history to fame our heroes erase our values and indoctrinate our children angry mobs are trying to tear down statues of our founders, to deface our most sacred memorials, and unleash a wave of violent crime in our cities. Many of these people have no idea why they are doing this, but some know exactly what they are doing. They think the American people are weak, and soft, and submissive. But no, the American people are strong and proud. There is a new far-left fascism that demands absolute allegiance. If you do not speak its language, perform its rituals, recite its mantras, and follow its commandments, then you will be censored, banished, blacklisted, persecuted, and punished.
1: That doesn't do it justice. The speech is about 45 minutes long. Again, if you have anybody on the fence or totally against Trump, you've got to find this. You can still get it on YouTube for the time being. It has not been banned by YouTube. July 4th, 2020, the Mount Rushmore speech. I hope he gives a similar speech at the convention next summer. We'll be right back. The Students for Justice in Palestine does that sound somewhat benign? It's not. It is pro-violence and it is anti-Jew. And they've been fomenting uh, strife all over the country on university campuses and beyond. They literally advocate violence. Take a look at this. Senator Josh Hawley uh, was talking about him on the Senate floor, wants to condemn them. Uh, their mission statement, yeah. They can engage in violence, their moral obligation to be in solidarity with the dispossessed, no matter the pathway to liberation they choose to take. This includes violence, and they are on, I think, about 200 at least college campuses throughout this country. Dan Dyker joins us from Jerusalem, Israel. He is the president of the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. I've been hearing about this group for over the past couple of weeks. I, uh, I heard you on Mark Levin, sir. Excellent job. Welcome. How are you and how are things over there right now?
0: Uh, well, if I said we were fine, everything was perfect, uh, I, I wouldn't be telling you the truth. We're we're on a war footing here. This is the deepest strategic existential crisis that the state of Israel has uh, experienced since its founding in 1948. We are surrounded by the Iranian regime. The Iranian regime is the regime that undertook this massacre about 10, day, uh, 10 days ago with the help of their Hamas operatives, the global jihad. We have uh, at least 1,400 people murdered, which is commensurate with 50,000 Americans. That means 11 911s in one day. Uh, my children are all in the army, sons in the special forces. Uh, but you've got a very united Israeli body politic. The public is united. That means Jews. Christians, Muslims, Israelis of all shapes, ready to defend this country the size of the state of New Jersey against an enormous Iranian regime monster and their uh, and the night of the living dead called the Hamas. Well, we are with you.
1: And uh, perhaps I know you need all the friends you can get right now. Uh, but Joe Biden came yesterday, and I'd like to get your assessment of the visit. How is it going down, actually, in Israel?
0: Well, there's a deep appreciation for President Biden's... Uh, personal commitment to Israel, not only his position as, as uh, commander-in-chief of the free world, but uh, it's very well known in Israel that President Biden uh, has been a profound friend of the state of Israel since his days in, uh, as a, uh, a young politician in the state of Delaware. And uh, everyone is uh, uh, very much uh, grateful that uh, this is the first time President of the United States has ever visited uh, the state of Israel in wartime. And I think that uh, his, his commitment and his presence here sends uh, a signal to uh, the many enemies uh, of uh, the state of Israel and the Western alliance. Number one, uh, the, mullahs in, in, uh, the mullahs in Iran, in Tehran. Um, the fact that there are air, the, the USS Ford, USS Eisenhower, there are many uh, U.S. Uh, warships in the area. And I think the United States, right. as, as we're understanding it, is dead serious about deterring any other malign actors that may, uh, th- that may decide to, 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 to start up and expand this, this already uh, deadly massacre, mass murder that its proxies had undertaken against yeah. innocent children, men and women here in Israel. It's important that uh, you have American
1: support. I will tell you, though, we're very concerned about Joe Biden and how he seems to be coddling the far left, which is uh, virulently anti-Semitic, as you know, and uh, this $100 million uh, to Hamas, uh, potentially Hamas. We're not sure where that money's gonna go. We're deeply concerned about that. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about, though, this um, uh, the Students for Justice in Palestine. Again, I think most of people, if they hear it, they won't realize, oh, that just sounds like a club. It's not like any club that should be allowed on any campus in
0: America. Well, it's not a club at all, uh, Greg. It's a crusade, and it's a, it's a front group for the global jihadi Hamas movement. People think, mistakenly, that Students for Justice in Palestine, it sounds so positive and benign, as you said in the opening, but it's actually, uh, you know, the language is as deceptive as a Soviet playbook under Stalin. Or the Nazi disinformation, or Iranian regime disinformation—that's exactly what it is. This is a this is a malign group of actors in over 250, could be close to 300 campuses across the United States, including NYU, very close to where your uh, studios are. Uh, these are cheerleaders for Hamas mass murderers. There's no other way to say it. These people are not interested in, in helping um, Palestinians. These people are dedicated to massacring Jews that's the way w- that's why i wrote the report back in 218 because it was one of the greatest deceptions in modern political history and the fact is that university presidents uh you know what throughout the ivy league and and other great school great uh, uh, institutions of higher learning that they countenance these people is absolutely intolerable for the cause of of higher education in the united states these people sh- these people incite violence they're anti-Semites. They hate Christians, and uh, they should not be—they they should not be covered. Their their malign activity, which encourages violence, uh, both rhetorical and physical violence against Jews and other friends of Israel, uh, should not be allowed on campuses anywhere.
1: Well, it's amazing. It's almost like a domestic terror organization. And all we hear about here is January 6th and white supremacists, which is a phantom. And this is very, very real. And the authorities uh, are either oblivious or they're okay with it. Can you do me a favor? Just tell us a little bit about the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs. And people can go to jcpa.org, jcpa.org.
0: Tell us a little bit more about what you do. Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs is a leading uh, diplomacy, communications, and research-driven policy institute. We uh, see ourselves as the, as the anchor of se- security, stability, and even prosperity for uh, an Arab-Muslim-majority Middle East, but that accepts Israel as a uh, 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 an indigenous member of this region. Uh, and I think there's a great appreciation among, e- even among, you know, uh, powers in the Abraham Accord family, J.C.P.A. right now is running the most aggressive counter-disinformation campaign um, that uh, one can imagine, and uh, we we would be uh, deeply appreciative of people's support. We're a completely uh, independent organization that is supported only by uh, by independent uh, uh, support, mostly from North America. And and uh, what we've been doing is is writing reports exposing uh, these these uh, terrible groups like. Students for Justice in Palestine, the Palestinian Academic and Cultural Boycott of Israel. You can get all this information for free at jcpa.org. And uh, at the same time, we are an anchor of of security and stability for this uh, rapidly changing Middle East, in which Russia, the Iranian regime, China have all, uh, you know, crouched and take positions. It's a very dangerous moment, Greg, for the United States vital interest in the Middle East. And Israel is there as a small, you know, fighting a state the size of the state of New Jersey, fighting for freedom, liberty, and all the Judeo-Christian values the United States was was founded upon. That's what Israel is all about. And we're trying to keep the Middle East safe uh, for, you know, for for people everywhere. Dan Dyker,
1: thinking about you, pulling for you. Hang in there. I know it's totally inadequate G- jcpa.org jcpa.org thank you dan
2: this country was made by tax rebels freedom fighters gold seekers believers lovers and true patriots we're newsmax and we're their heirs and so are you newsmax tv real news for real people members of this cabinet most moving
1: Joe man. Biden speaking from the Oval Office just a little while ago about Israel and Ukraine. Uh, I think he should speak every night at 10 o'clock because Sleepy Joe, he could help a lot of Americans fall asleep. Uh, it really wasn't all that. Talked about the necessity to continue the war in Ukraine. And he said that we can never equivocate in our support of Israel, although we equivocated a lot last week. Two days went by. He didn't talk about anti-Semitism. He didn't talk about Iran, didn't talk about anything. I found that rather evasive, maybe even equivocal. All right. We'll keep our eye on that. In the meantime, anti-Semitism everywhere. This has been, like, for me, personally, a huge shock. I kind of thought it was gone. I mean, I'm not Jewish, so quite frankly, I've not been confronted with it, but I did not know it was out there. And it is uh, huge, big time. Um, And you see it on full display, full display. These people coming out and supporting the terrorists. Can you imagine anybody coming out and supporting the mass shooting in Las Vegas, right? Uh, More than 100 people killed. Can you imagine people coming out and trying to see it from uh, the madman's perspective? Well, after all, you know, he did lose a lot of money gambling in the casino. I mean, no, it's absurd. We would never see that and yet we're seeing it in America and around the world. Anti-Semitism is a very real thing. Can anyone defend the slaughter of those women and children at that concert? No. How about taking the, the hostages? Again, women and children, the elderly? This is okay somehow? Um, never in a million years. Not in my book, not in your book. So it's indefensible, yet they're defending it. How strange hey have you heard about this it's kind of a new craze the exonerated the wrongly accused and imprisoned
0: decades behind bars in hawaii a man wrongfully convicted of murder and sexual assault has been released from prison you were wrongfully incarcerated so much of your life was stolen
3: from you leonard mack was wrongfully convicted of rape five decades ago five decades ago
1: well In a judicial system, it's not perfect. Sooner or later, innocent people are going to go to jail. I hate that it happens. It will happen. And when exculpatory evidence is found, it should be presented and those people should be let go if we all follow the system. But sooner or later, and it already has happened, guilty people are going to be found innocent and exonerated and let go even when they actually did the crime. It's going to happen. It has happened. And, well, just saying that not every exonerated person is innocent. Now, a lot of folks are walking around with a chip on their shoulder when it comes to the criminal justice system. And one of them was this guy, Leonard Cure. Now, he actually spent more than a dozen years in jail uh, for assault and other offenses. And later it was found, well, they they made mistakes in the investigation and uh, it was all thrown out and he was released, he was released. And I don't know what impact that had on him, but if they had television in prison, maybe he caught some MSNBC and heard that basically the whole system is corrupt and racist, right? I could see somebody picking up on that. Couldn't you, right? Because you hear it all the time. Well, this is the guy who was um, pulled over for speeding and didn't think he had to cooperate and struggled with the cop. Big time.
2: Hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back.
1: I showed this last night, but I, quite frankly, didn't let it go far enough because that guy really does put him in a chokehold. Mr. Cure puts the officer in a chokehold, and he seems to be moments from dying, possibly having his neck broken, and that's when he gets a handle on his gun and he shoots Mr. Cure, and Mr. Cure is is dead. But I think the media might be to blame because of this paranoid fiction that they promote relentlessly and People like Mr. Cure and others, they're listening and they pick up on this and well, why should they listen to the cops when they're so racist?
0: Police are supposed to protect and serve, but it's clear that they are protecting the beneficiaries of inherent racist policies. And of course, cities
1: have to end the racist policing of black communities, that's where we all started. They're not about
2: one bad cop or one good guy with the gun or the, they're about. You see what I mean? Racism. If you, have you know, the if they're going
1: to give Trump a hard time you for talking whole whole life, time that's about that's the election. Oh, that led to January 6th. We well, what about no all of this? All this poisonous false racist stuff about America and cops. Violence. People are actually listening and it's getting them killed. We'll be right back.
2: Newsmax. Shoots it straight. No
3: talking down to me.
0: Don't tell me how to think.
3: Don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me how to think.
0: I trust Newsmax. Newsmax.
3: They don't tell me how to think. They let me decide.
2: Real news for real people. So
1: uh, anti-Semitism all over the place. I was so naive. I thought, I didn't think this was a problem but it's a huge one and it's being driven in part, especially on campus by the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. You've heard about that, DEI, right? It's everywhere, everything DEI must be good, right? Uh, Wrong. We go to De Anza College. It's a, a small school in Northern California and a wild episode of Well, you name it. Reverse discrimination and uh, anti-Semitism fueled by DEI. A special piece in today's New York Post by Tavia Lee. I was a DEI director and DEI drives campus anti-Semitism. Tavia Lee joins us. She was the DEI director at that college. She is no longer. She was fired, but we suspect we know the answer why. And so does she. Tavia, welcome. Great piece. How are you?
3: Thank you, Greg, I'm happy to be here.
1: So let me ask you first, you were hired as a DEI Director, Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Director. What was your objective at that school? What did you want to do?
3: So, uh, Greg, um, speaking back on De Anza Times, um, which it seems so long ago now, it's been since June that I was released from there. um, I was hired as a faculty director for an Office of Equity, Social Justice and Multicultural Education. And um, what I wanted to do was what they hired me to do, uh, which was to lead a campus-wide transformation around the topics of uh, equity, social justice, and multicultural education. But what I came to see, Greg, is that there was a different operating definition of social justice. Uh, I was working more from what I call a classical social justice perspective. And at De Anza College, there were a few loud but um, um, vocal individuals uh, who were working from a critical social justice perspective. And it's that critical social justice perspective that we see as the default in so many of our California community colleges, and throughout the nation. And it is what's fueling the anti-Semitism that we see, um, you know, on our private and public universities. You use the word critical and critical race theory, critical, like in this context, and I've never actually
1: boiled it down. How does critical change the equation, that word? What does it mean in this context?
3: Yes. So a critical social justice approach is very different from a classical one. Most of us, when we think of social justice, we're thinking of the classical social justice approach. That's where we talk about human agency and free will and equality of opportunity. Uh, But a critical social justice approach is one that really centers the check boxes of identity uh, around race and gender. Um, It pits all of us against one another and and puts us into these boxes of either being oppressors or oppressed or victims or oppressors, and um, it really does focus on a lot of uh, anti-whiteness Um, They focus on this version of white supremacy that's not like what we usually think of. Most of us, when we hear white supremacy, we think of, you know, the KKK and white national socialists, right? Um, That's been the common definition. But these people are talking about something completely different. They're talking about personality qualities and characteristics, Uh, things like being on time, being objective, um, um, looking at the written word, having setting an agenda for meetings, all of those things are considered white supremacy to the critical social justice ideologues. And it's so sad to see how they're influencing our students, um, how they're influencing our communities, and how this perspective has been pushed through Um, And gotten so much traction uh, with so many colleges and universities and even our civic organizations and houses of worship at this time.
1: So you're you're there. You're trying to do the right thing. And then it seems like you're confronted with the anti-Israel, anti-Jewish kind of mentality uh, that goes part and parcel with this. Tell us what you observed. And were you surprised?
3: I was very surprised, you know, we had um, folks coming to our campus and saying they really wanted us to work on, um, you know, the hostile environment for Jewish students, faculty and staff. Um, And when I took that back to my staff and my supervising dean, and I said, you know, we should really do something about this, uh, they told me that they were not interested in doing that. They said that, you know, Jewish people were white oppressors and um, that they were focused on decentering whiteness, and I should be focused on that too. And that's when I really realized there was a strong uh, difference between our approaches to this topic. And it's not just at, you know, that school or in that district, uh, but at so many schools in, in Universities. We've seen people dancing in the streets um, in these past few weeks. These are activists. Uh, we've seen our medical students having die-ins, laying on the ground, um, and you know, um, supporting Pal and support of uh, Palestine and Hamas. And so that's so terrifying to me as a teacher, as an educator.
1: Uh, it's so disheartening and sad. However, just seeing you and hearing you, I'm 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 somehow full of hope. Really, I know you left the ANZA. Uh, what? Where are you now? You're you do no harm, and uh, are you? Tell us a little bit about that. And you're waging a lawsuit or thinking about it.
3: Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited about, you know, my work as a senior fellow uh, with uh, Do No Harm Medicine. Uh, they're really seeking to raise awareness about, you know, the toxic ideologies that are infusing our medical schools and our medical professionals. You know, um, these individuals, our medical students, they take an oath to do no harm. But yet we see these chapters in over 100 public and private uh, colleges and universities here in America where they are uh, having chapters of a group called White Coats for Black Lives. And they've put out statements condemning Israel, um, saying that uh, they stand for uh, Palestine and um, supporting Hamas, which is a terrorist organization. You know, um, really Mm -hmm. just how can we entrust, these are our future medical professionals. How can a Jewish person uh, ever feel safe are you know uh, going to see a medical professional who may hold these ideologies and this is what's being celebrated on the campuses Um, this is what their advisors are telling them is the right thing to do and i'm just so concerned for that because how do you do no harm yet celebrate the massacre of you know uh, thousands of people And, um, you know, the taking of hostages, that's why I'm wearing my blue ribbon, to raise awareness about the hostages who still have not come home. And Mm -hmm. it's so important for us to, you know, to stand with our ally. Um, And I just I'm so saddened to see what are being called protests, but they're protests, but they're actual celebrations. And they're saying um, statements and chants that are typical of these critical social justice Mm -hmm. ideologues like from the river to the sea and sure. free Palestine and so forth. It's, it's so saddening, Greg.
1: Tavia, as we say goodbye, I want to show you something. Um, DEI, a friend of mine pointed this out, diversity, equity, and inclusion, right? That sounds great. But the, the uh, initials, DEI, and they showed me how this is the root for day de or deus or the Latin word for, yes, God. And it seems like diversity, equity and inclusion somehow in and of itself is to be worshipped and pushed at all costs. And this is somehow the new altar. Forgive me, but does that resonate with you?
3: It deeply concerns me. You know, I'm a secular educator and I'm all for different perspectives and multiple perspectives. But this definitely has a religious flair to it that's deeply concerning. And I think our legislators and our, um, you know, our public officials and our boards of trustees for these public uh, universities in particular right. need to take a look at that and tamp down on it and get these programs out of our schools. Please check
1: out, uh, there's more of Dr. Tavia Lee at her website, D R T L E E D R L-E-E, drtliee, L-E-E dot com. And uh, Dr. Tavia Lee at Do No Harm, thank you very much and good luck in your fight. Thank you. We'll be right back. Okay. Welcome back to America, Joe. Coming down the short steps, Air Force One, Andrews Air Force Base. Strange how he's dressed, huh? Dungarees, an ordinary shirt. Uh, you know, like he just played a football game four in a row. He's so sore. Um, It's odd that he's wearing absolutely no rank insignia. Take a look at this. This is the way Joe usually uh, walks around Air Force One or Camp David with all kinds of presidential paraphernalia, a presidential hat, a presidential seal, Air Force One, a name tag. I'm the president. Kind of like he really, really wants to convince maybe even himself that he's the president of the United States. It's pretty wild, though. He goes all the way over there. He's followed by a pack of reporters. They don't ask him anything remotely challenging, yet they pride themselves on asking challenging questions. The, the White House pool of reporters, they are guardians of democracy, just asks them.
0: When we're asking questions in the Oval Office and under the wing of Air Force One or in the briefing room, we are stand-ins for the American people. Our responsibility to the country is woven into the fabric of the nation, enshrined in the First Amendment of the Constitution, and we take that responsibility seriously.
1: Sorry, Uh, they don't do any of that stuff, okay? They're just, (gasps) they just talk to each other, and they gossip, and they worry about their own status. It's like in high school. It's very, very lame. I'll be right back. Am I on? Oh, hello. Uh, Joe Biden did the same thing tonight before his big speech. Good evening. (laughs) Anything you need to know about TV, Joe, give me a call. Thank you very much. I'll see you tomorrow.